When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pucks with Ags is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. I'm your host, Joe Haggerty. This is the 15th episode of the Pucks with Hags podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a bunch of uh, hockey things uh, here. Now that the Stanley Cup playoffs have come to an end, we have a winner. We can discuss that. We can start to get into the offseason a little bit. we got a few things to dig into as far as the Bruins and hockey go, and we have uh, my longtime friend from the Standard Times, Mick Collagio, been there, been covering the Bruins almost 30 years for them, where it got all kinds of Bruins stories and information and knowledge we can glean from Mick. But first, I want to acknowledge our, our sponsors for the show, for the Pucks with Hags podcast. First of all, uh, FanDuel, uh, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS network. Uh, you can continue to go there and uh, go to FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet. Uh, up to one thousand uh, dollars. Fanduel.com slash Boston. No sweat first bet. Uh, up to one thousand dollars. That's one thousand dollars back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, that's always a good deal. Uh, and our other uh, sponsor and my personal favorite, uh, Factor Meals, uh, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. Uh, ready in less than two minutes. Uh, f- you know, friendly uh, food, uh, quick food in the summertime when you need it. It's very convenient meal plans that come right to you, not frozen, healthy. Uh, so head to factormeals.com slash HAGS50. Use the code HAGS50 to get 50% off your first box. That's an awesome deal. Uh, that's factormeals.com slash HAGS50 to get 50% off your first box at Factor Meals. So with the, the sponsors thanked and acknowledged, uh, we'll move on to Mick. Mick, uh, what did you think of the playoffs in general? Uh, Bruce Cassidy and the Vegas Golden Knights winning at the end and just your sort of like thoughts as you were watching the playoffs unfold and then the Stanley cup final happened between the Panthers and the golden Knights. Well, really thanks for having me. First of all, on 15th episode, I guess that puts me in the top 15. <laughs> there you I go. Know, I don't know if I get a limited no trade with that. But, uh... <laughs> you can't get traded to Buffalo, Mick. That's the best part. <laughs> right. Uh, so um, yeah. Happy for Bruce. Number one. Yep. Um, and, and uh, uh, number two, um, it just blew my mind how they beat up the big bully. Um, I was amazed at uh, how the Bruins could not contend with Bennett's line, especially Bennett. Kachuk was an assassin and an amazing opportunist who, who stood on the shoulders of the physicality that Bennett brought. And Verhage was like the deputy opportunist. And when he was on the line, obviously was at the very end. Um, and but they went back to cousins, but but uh, I wasn't even sure after watching the prior rounds that Vegas would get a game. But then the 10 days went by and it reminded me of 2019. It reminded me of other playoffs where the Bruins had to do a lot of waiting around before they played and then were never the same. And yeah. I think Florida gave up those first two games, they were a hot mess in those games one and two. And when the series shifted, they played much better games. And they have not been a great home team throughout this playoff. They've been a better road team. 
So right. as with a lot of teams in these playoffs, it's crazy. Right. How it yeah. And then they don't have Kachuk at the end. So game five was kind of decided before it happened. Uh, right. It's amazing that one player can have that much of an effect, but that's true. And uh, in this case, and, and uh, so, uh, you know, uh, how much, how good of a series would we have gotten? I don't really know, but I got to say, I really underrated the, the Golden Knights. I didn't realize how good Nicholas uh, Roy was. Here's a fourth-line center. There's no way this guy's going forward in his career as a fourth-line center. To me, he was like the second coming of Wayne Cashman. He was so good in traffic and on the boards when it bucks. And, and I was just amazed at, with the guys that they have on that team and how much they've matured. Riley Smith is, is a perfect example of a yeah. guy who I thought was a really soft player when Boston had him. And was. I didn't think I mean, they were wrong. He was. And he then was. the Panthers weren't wrong. The Stars yep. weren't wrong. But, you know, even in 18, he wasn't the player we saw this past week or this past month. I, I just was really impressed by his maturation. And, you know, he got to a point where he was like, hey, you know, it's, this is what it is. And let's get out there and compete. And he did. And good for him. Yeah. And, you know, in general, with the Golden Knights, uh, I feel like they take their cues, obviously from Bruce Cassidy and the coaching staff, but also uh, from Mark Stone, you know, one of the best players in the NHL, best two-way players in the NHL, but a guy that I think is often underrated because he's just solid. You know, he's not spectacular. He's not flashy. You know, it's some of the things he does, it's almost in a Bergeron-esque way where it's just good, hard, smart hockey Mm -hmm. and just winning battles and being in the right place and being intelligent uh, and knowing where the puck is going and reading the plays. But like so many players in the team are like that, right? They're not flashy players. March or so uh, just a solid all around hockey player, very good offensive player. Uh, Alex Petrangelo, not a flashy number one defenseman, but a a two-time cup winner and a stud number one defenseman Mm -hmm. that knows how to win in the playoffs. And Mark Stowe, they had so many players like that where, they didn't dazzle you or impress you in any of these rounds with the things that they were doing. They were just a damn good hockey team, deep, strong, uh, good two-way team, uh, played at both ends. Jack Eichel bought in and he became one of those two. You know, he made some flashy plays here or there. I played the flashiest player they had as far as skill goes, but just fell in line yeah, with what I everybody mean, else was doing. You know, it, it, it was the story of, of their run was like you kept waiting for a team to beat them, thinking that you kind of underrated them the whole time. At least I did. I did. I did. I didn't know how good Chandler Stevenson was. No. Or Aiden he, Hill. You're looking at him and you're just, saying, Aiden Hill going to be able to do this for, you know, yeah. a, a playoff run? And he ended up doing it. And he's probably made himself a ton of money because he's a UFA uh, at the end of the year. And he'll be one of those guys that a team will go after and say, this could be our number one Stanley Cup winner, had that run. And, you know, who knows if he's going to be or not. But he's he's probably played himself into a nice situation going forward, too. Sure. Yeah. It's a career, career maker for him. I oh, mean, yeah. uh, you get, you seized an opportunity. I What did he, is he set a record or something for most victories in the Stanley Cup playoffs for a guy who did not play in the opening round? Yes. So, yeah. so, so, uh, you know, it had never, had never played in a playoff game. It had never played more than 25 games in an NHL season. Yeah. Uh, you know, going into this. Crazy. I always liked, I always liked Theodore, but yep. the move that he made to retain that puck high on the right, uh, boards at the right point dance on the puck pursuer i'm trying to remember who it was but he he eluded him right he eluded him left danced to the middle and scored that goal with that perfect shot over the over the over the shoulder against the grain they just were outstanding in so many ways they were clutch they were they saved their best for last and um and they can play any way you want but the bruins I know we were going to transition there have 
been trying to be that team. We can play any way you want. Right. Well, they didn't play any way you want. I was a little disappointed. I thought they had turned the corner. I thought they had the grit this time. I thought they had the speed this time. I thought they had enough to get past a team like Florida. But when you let a physical team off the mat and they get the series to seven, the physical team always wins. I mean, I go back to the Bruins 2011, the Blues yep. in 2019. It's if they Yeah, with the Bruins like that, being on the reverse end of it in 2019. Absolutely. That's right. They were the Canucks in that series. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, two power play reliant, you know, and and uh and squawking about the refs and the other teams lifting the trophy. Yeah, and and you know, uh, the big thing that was a surprise to me in that series and really was the story of the series in a lot of ways was just how they could not handle the forecheck of the Florida Panthers. Yeah, their defenseman right. really struggled uh, first to handle it and then started hearing footsteps and then started making all kinds of bad mistakes, throwing the puck up the middle of the ice and, and you know, forced the, the forecheck of Florida, forced them into doing things they didn't do all season. And all of a sudden they started happening to them in the playoffs. And they did the same thing to Toronto after that. And even you know, worse. <laughs> yes. And, and worse. you know, for me though, when I was watching that, I was wondering are they going to be able to sustain that hair on fire? We're coming after you, pounding you for check for two months mm -hmm. and yeah. four playoff rounds. And that's right. really what I think kind of happened to them at the end too, is the style of play and the way that they were playing. They couldn't sustain it at the end. They, they were Wiley Coyote had run off the cliff and he didn't look down yet. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, they, they, and he finally looked down right at the end against the Knights and, and yeah. started plummeting. Uh, and the cloud was left there all by itself. I, it, but that's kind of what I thought happened was to, I wish they degree. didn't have to wait around so long so we could see a better version of them. 100%. And then we could have gotten a truer read on it, but yeah. I got to get, but not taking anything away from the Knights. They stood up in a way that none of the other opponents did. No, uh, and, and in that play, the microcosm of that series and the, what you're talking about and what I'm talking about is Kachuk destroying Jack Eichel, knocking him out of the game temporarily. Mm -hmm. He goes to the room and he comes back in the next period and, you know, Florida scores a goal and you think they're starting to get a foothold. They're gaining some momentum. And then all of a sudden Eichel makes a great pass to Marcheseau right in the middle of the net. Complete defensive zone coverage, like mess from a hot mess, a dumpster fire from the Panthers. And they score a goal and they're off and running again. It was the perfect response from Michael, the perfect response from that team. And to then call us Florida Panthers playing that way. And it was also, to your point, uh, you know, it looked like they had been off for a week, 10 days, the way that they covered the zone in that play. They had four guys over by the sideboards covering Eichel and one other guy and completely crowding the puck. And there's nobody in front of their net like it. It's something, honestly, I don't see my squirts teams that I coach, Finn's team, <laughs> do that. Because I yell at them, 1D in front of the net at all times when the puck is in the D zone. I'm yeah. screaming it from the bench at all right. times when yeah. that happens. So, like, you know, I think everybody fell asleep on that one. And it speaks to the rust yeah. that had gathered. But I thought that was just the perfect sequence, those two plays of exactly. Well, with the NBA playoffs over and the Stanley Cup playoffs over, Major League Baseball is now in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the baseball action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's right. The exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. Uh, right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to join uh, today. You know, it, it's I love FanDuel. 
great promotions every day beyond the no sweat first bets safe and secure app uh, that you can use it's really easy to navigate around and to find exactly what you want to bet on you get paid instantly when you do actually win uh, whether you're betting on the pathetic red Sox or not uh, i'll leave that up to you uh, but don't miss your first chance to snag a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000 when you sign up for FanDuel today. Just go to fanduel.com slash Boston to sign up. FanDuel's the official partner of Major League Baseball. It's 21 plus and present in Massachusetts to do FanDuel first online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The other, the other thing the Bruins failed to do that the Knights did was proactive physicality. Yeah. I was really disappointed that over the course of seven games, the Bruins really failed to put a body on Montour. They failed to put a body on Forsling. They failed to take advantage of the slow speed of Stahl. They yep. failed to take advantage of uh, of Gudis. Uh, Gudis yes. could be an adventurous player. Even in his more refined, older, smarter version of him, he can be uh, – uh, you can you can get him. And, and a nice well, he's pretty day. slow, too. you got to take advantage of that, too. And, and They, force they just did mistake. not exploit there. They didn't get in there. I thought certain Bruins were terrific. I thought Coyle was excellent. Yep. Um, I just thought that there weren't enough guys who were paying the price and making things happen and playing outside their comfort zone and taking it to them. And there was no cumulative effect of weight on those defensemen. And the fact that there was plenty on Boston's and none on theirs, um, you know, now you're drawing Clifton in. And, and, and Clifton hadn't played at the beginning, which was really, I thought, I, I thought that was an underrated part of the mismanagement because I thought that Clifton really thrived and Mont- under Montgomery during the season. And he I was did. disappointed that he was the odd man out. Because what happened there is there was a, match, a physicality lack of matchup there. Because Clifton not only withstands, he hits. He'll hit yep. first. He'll hit back. He'll hit ahead. You know, yep. it's like, and, and they didn't have enough of that in that series. And that's one of the things the Golden Knights had all over every one of their other opponents. Yeah. The issue, though, with Clifton, I guess, becomes like his confidence is such a yo-yo and if he starts to get down in any way or, you know. Well, and then that's the that, lineup later. He was no well, good. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. Like he goes in in game six and he's an absolute disaster. And, and a big part of why they ended up, you know, that game six was such a mess was a lot of the mistakes that he was making. Because I think at that point he'd been out of the lineup for a few games and they put Grizzlick in. And I honestly felt like Grizzlick was better for that series because he was able to handle their forecheck more and he was able to get it up the ice and get around them and get it up quick. And, you know, that, that was part of Montgomery's folly of the things he made mistakes with was game six, taking, um, taking Clifton uh, Grizzly out and putting Clifton in after that sort of mishandle that Grizzly and Elmark had had uh, behind the net in game five uh, in overtime when they lost that game. So, you know, uh, but there's a I lot. Know there. I know they like foreboard on the penalty kill and his right. late that reminds him of Chara a little bit and all right. of that. But putting him in at the beginning of the series and flipping things around there, I don't think that worked out for them at all. No, no, there was a lot of things that didn't work out. Uh, you know, Hampus Lindholm was was terrible as well. He uh, was. He was. And, and, and that really is a killer. I don't know if we've anybody vetted this, the, this broken foot story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I, I, you know, 
he was he was wearing a boot at the end of the year. Like he said it to a Swedish news outlet. I I believe him, but he was yeah. also playing 20 minutes a night at the end of the season, you know, and, yeah. and playing throughout the playoffs and telling us at breakup day that he was fine. So like, you know, how much of that is uh, him really being hurt? How much of that is looking for something to sort of pin it on when you really didn't play well? Like this is why I, you know, some people were sort of putting it out there. They wanted Lindholm you know, to potentially be moved because uh, they don't like what they've seen out of the playoffs. They don't like what they've seen out of the playoffs in the last couple of years. But like, I want to see at least one more playoff out of him. That's right. I agree. Well, I'm I'm with you on this. I I, getting run over by Svechnikov is one thing. Yes. Uh, That's, that's totally one thing this year. Yeah. I was really disappointed because I've really enjoyed his play. I enjoyed his season especially early on before Charlie McAvoy was in the lineup. I thought yep. he was fantastic because um, he had to be the lead guy back there. And he was. Um, Orlov yeah. was kind of playing like he did during the regular season in the playoffs. You know, he was sort of like, and even to more of a like sort of Rover uh, level of like being all over the place at times, but being really yeah. aggressive offensively. And like, he kind of, you know, was doing what Lindholm did at the beginning of the year when McAvoy wasn't there. And, and Lindholm just looked like he was, you know, handling grenades when he had the puck on his stick and, and yeah. just didn't want anything to do with it. But he didn't want to be in that minefield. There's no, no, no about it. it certainly didn't seem like it. So let's get to a little bit of, of Bruins news here. Uh, the end of the week, uh, this uh, week is the official offseason of, for the NHL. The Stanley Cup finals are over. So a couple days after the end of the Stanley Cup finals, that's when the buyout window opens for all the teams across the NHL. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I've written about it. A, a lot of people have, I'm sure you've either tweeted about it, written about it, thought about it. Um, but I think Mike Riley becomes a very likely candidate uh, to be bought out by the Boston Bruins. Wearing, wearing the buyout bullseye. Yes, exactly. I mean, <laughs> it, spoke, it makes too much sense. Bullseye. When, the, when you only have $5 million in cap space like the Bruins do, you only have like seven forward sign, you have a surplus of defensemen, a plethora of guys that you're probably going to even have to trade somebody after you bought out Mike Riley as well. Um, and you can get a lot of savings. I think it's a $2.3 million savings this first year in the buyout. And, and the second year, to- as you pointed out in your article, is nearly irrelevant because right. of the cap uh, increase that's anticipated when the COVID uh, escrow part is over and yep. that they can get back to business as usual. And they have a lot of cap space anyway, too, on top of that. So I think their cap, the cap, I think is a one year pain period that they're going to have to go through this coming year where they're just going to have to get through it. Try not to make too many moves that are long-term damaging for them and, and figure out a way to power through, uh, make some shrewd moves now, and then they can get to the other side. And as you mentioned, the cap will go up. They're going to have a lot more cap spaces, more contracts are coming off. So, you know, Mike Riley, I think, is is a, an extremely viable candidate for the buyout, and it makes all the sense in the world. Uh, they haven't used the buyout much, though, you know, lately, especially. It's uh, Jimmy Hayes oh, wow. and Dennis Seidenberg are the last couple uh, that they've done. So it'll be interesting to see if they get full green lights uh, from ownership to go out and, and, and you know, put some dead money out there that the, the, the Jacobs aren't going to be getting anything in return from Mike Riley for a couple seasons while paying him money. But I think it makes sense on paper to do it. If they bury him in Providence like they did last this past season, are they better off with the cap for next season? No. If they just keep going like that? No, they have dead money on the cap that's more than uh, they would save with the buyout. In two years, okay. I think it might maybe – well, in two years, he'd be gone, right? He's only got one year left. The, the two-year right. thing is because of the buyout. 
Yeah. But I, I think it makes sense if you're going to do everything based on this coming season. Yeah, I think it's a million dollars extra, maybe somewhere in that range of extra. That can make, a, that can make a huge difference on a person. Well, it could season. be a player. It could be a very viable player, like at the bottom of your lineup, uh, you know, a fourth line guy, sure, uh, an extra forward, an extra D. Um, if, they, if a team ever needed to solve three roster problems internally, the time is now. You know, like they go, remember good old 1988 when Craig Janney and Bob Joyce they come up from the U.S. and Canadian Olympic teams yeah. in time. It was like a great trade deadline pickup. Then it happened again in 91-92 with uh, Juno coming from Canada, Heinz and Donato from the U.S. Yep. And simultaneously, Glenn Murray comes in from juniors. And it's like a whole different hockey team than the one that played that whole season. And um, and, and it set them up for the decade, really. Uh, in this right now, um, in the immediate, um, there's people nibbling at the bottom the bottom six, there's a few guys nibbling there, but is there really anybody there that, that, I mean, and, and are there any normal circumstances with the, with the Bruins ever consider taking a player like Mason Lowry and, and putting him in an NHL, NHL lineup rather than giving him a full AHL season. Historically, that's not how they do it. He, right. he plays in Providence this coming season. And then maybe at the end of the season, if he's knocking it out on the park, then you'll look at him, you look at him that way. Uh, so yeah. Right yeah. now, I mean, these internal solutions are, um, you know, th this is this is when that's supposed to happen. And boy, if there's a time for them to prove that their system is underrated and it is rated poorly, uh, then it's now. Well, I, I do think we are going to see some of those players this coming year, and that's going to factor into, you know, when we say there's only seven forwards signed right now. I don't know that I don't think we're including. Oscar Steen, Mark McLaughlin, Jacob Lauco, yeah, who I think are all going to play a lot next year. You know, at least definitely McLaughlin and Lauco. And I think Steen's on a one-way contract, so I would expect that he's going to at least get a look or, you know, get some period of time mm -hmm. uh, as a bottom six guy to see if it, uh, he can do it or not. But I think I, I do have a feeling that some of those guys are going to be in there, and it is going to be – not nearly as deep a team as this past season. And they're just going to have to get by with some of those guys, at least until the trade deadline. And maybe they can, you know, work some kind of salary cap magic at that point to free up some space to, to get somebody if they really need it. But I, I you know, put it this way, they're, they're not going to be uh, winning 65 games, putting up 135 points this year, even if Krejci and, or, or Bergeron are back, you know, it's going to, I think they're still a playoff team, but I think because they have to have so many of these sort of like fringe players that have to establish themselves uh, in the lineup and playing somewhat significant roles, if they're in there every night in a, a third or fourth line role, you know, th there's going to be pain associated with that, especially in uh, Jakobs Borrell on the back end too. If it, it, it turns out that he has to, you know, because they put Mason Lowry in Providence, they have to play him most nights up here. And you know what? Well, he was good before he blew that ACL. It's been tough getting back. And but there was yeah. a couple of games there where he was good. And and then there's a couple where he's not. You say, okay, what's it going to be here? I think this is his fork in the road season. It's now or never for him as a Bruin going forward. Yeah, um, no doubt. And and but that's you know I I think there is unless they can work some serious trades, uh, which, you know, not having first round picks or second round picks for the next couple of years, not having a well thought of uh, 
a prospect and development system at this point. Um, you know, I think, they, I think every night they pray that Matthew Poitras is Barry Peterson. Uh, of course, you know, and uh, you know that somehow uh, Fabian Lysel wakes up tomorrow and he's David Pasternak too. Like, that would not be great. <laughs> yeah, no but like Rick, Rick Middleton. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I, I just don't because of the assets, because of the all-in nature of last year, because of the salary cap situation. It's going to be tough sledding next year. There's no question about it. They're still, they're too good not to be a playoff team. I think they have too many good players and their goaltending is too good. And, you know, they don't know that division's getting tougher. It is. But like, if you start the season, let's say you start the season with all, let's say you like, um, let's say you don't trade any of the goalies. Okay. Let's say you start with all Mark and Swayman as your one, two. Let's mm-hmm. say you have Lindholm and McAvoy as your top two defensemen. Let's say you Bergeron comes back, Krejci doesn't. So you still have Bergeron, Marshan, Pasternak. Uh, maybe you have Taylor Hall, uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, Pavel Zaka. You know, like yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, when you start, the brush might be a lot better next season than he was at the end of this one. Because yeah. let's face it, you break two bones winning the Winter Classic. And then he had never really quite the same player, even though he had some high moments in the second half of the season, it was difficult for him to sustain that. And he turned the corner so far in the first half of last season that, that I feel like uh, he, cause we're going to see more of that player than the player we saw at the end of the year. So we're moving on uh, before we talk about the rumor mill, before we play Mythbusters with some of these trade rumors, I do want to talk about our friends at factor meals america's number one ready to eat meal kit uh this is something uh that is two minutes to make uh there's all kinds of different options if you're like me and you know your son is playing uh six different sports here in the spring and you're chasing around in lacrosse fields baseball fields he's playing spring hockey he's doing all kinds of stuff uh we don't have the time to like sit down and cook and a lot of times we don't have the time to go out and eat uh so we have factor meals which uh, there's calorie conscious options ahead of the summer. There's delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals l- at or less than 550 calories per serving. They have vegan, they have protein plus, uh, they have all kinds of options. So my wife that wants to have the healthy option can order that. And if I want to just have like, you know, some bolognese, they can throw that my way or some other kind of meal. And if I want to carb up, uh, so like, and they have stuff for the kids like as well. So it's, one of those things, uh, they also are environmentally conscious. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door. Uh, the source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites. So this is a company that you can feel good about investing some money in if you want that uh, ready-to-make meal kit, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, uh, Factor Meals. So head to factormeals.com slash HAGS50 and use code HAGS50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code HAGS50 at factormeals.com slash HAGS50 to get 50% off your first box. You can't beat that uh, for a meal that's made in two minutes that's delicious and healthy. So thank you, Factor Meals. Let's move on to the next item, Mick, and we touched on this a little bit. Bruce Cassidy uh, winning the cup. Um, you know, the, there's there's obviously like a revisionist thing going on right now in Boston um, where people are saying, he should have stayed. They should not have fired him. If he stayed here, we would have won the cup. Fans saying this, you know, and, and look, I, I understand the knee jerk reaction of being angry when a coach is fired. People were, a lot of people were angry when Claude Julian was fired, rightfully so winning us. Yes, exactly. You were the chairman of the club. And I like, I was, I didn't like it either because I liked Claude personally. He was a good guy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but winningest coach in, in Bruins franchise history, won the cup in 2011, you know, obviously a really good coach, uh, but it was time. And we, I think we learned that when Bruce came in and it was the same thing here. I the think. season was heading south fast. So it was totally understandable yes. that they did what they did. They yes. had to do it. And even Claude said after it, it was time. Yeah. And, and I think Bruce Cassidy in, in, in uh, retrospect has realized that too. And he talked about it in some interviews where I think he realized that coming so close in 2019 and not getting there, it became an obsession with him, I think, to win the cup. And it really became something that he was driving hard for. And maybe at times he was driving those players extra hard and maybe didn't even realize it because he was so like intent on getting a little bit better to get over that hump that they weren't able to in game seven in 2019. You know, as he says, I just want my name on the damn cup. You know, you finally (laughs) got it. Good for him. Uh, But I mean, I'm of the strong belief that, he was, it was time here. The message needed to change. They were not going to win. The, he was probably going to get fired during the season if he had stayed for this last year. And then they would have been scrambling to fr- try to find somebody at some point. But I, obviously, I don't think they would have had a record season. I don't think they would have had such high hopes going into the postseason. And I don't think would, they would have had the Vegas storybook end if he had remained in Boston this year. You wouldn't have gotten the season you got out of Freddie. You, you, uh, yep. I mean, they traded Jack Studnika, but I'm looking at the prior season and thinking, okay, Sweeney said it's probably on us that we messed up his development. We didn't do, and I'm thinking like, I don't really know what he's alluding to, but when the, when the, when the situation sort of unfolded that Studnika, you know, would play with great confidence down in Providence, he'd come to Boston and it just wasn't there. And then it would take them a couple of weeks to get going again in Providence and it build up to it. Up to it. So there right. was definitely a, you know, on one hand, um, Don Sweeney is trying to draft and develop and think from an internal, internal standpoint, his hockey team. On the other hand, he, he strategically places a veteran obstacle in the way of every prospect in order right. to make them earn their spot. And, and uh, I think that, his prospects for the most part have not been good enough to override that. Now you might look and say, well, what about Charlie McAvoy? Well, he wouldn't have even played that Ottawa series in 17 had there not been an emergency injury situation that that brought about the revelation that permanently made him a Boston Bruin going forward, you know, and launched him's career. Um, You know, so, you know, it takes circumstances are different for different players, but there was definitely a, a sense uh, th- by the end of the Bruce Cassidy era here that uh, in order for this management to be satisfied, that they had a good system and had good prospects, they felt like they needed to have a different coach. Yeah, and uh, they needed to change some of the ways they were doing business. They needed more out of their defensemen offensively. And, and you know, you can debate would they have gotten more out of their defensemen with Cassidy coaching Lindholm and McAvoy at the top of the defenseman court for a whole season. Certainly they would have. But you would they say have the gotten, same thing about Claude. Yeah, Bruce would they have gotten the Claude had? No. Would they have gotten a career year out of Connor Clifton this year? No, he would not have. Right, exactly. Would Brandon Carlo have been one of the best-looking defensemen in the playoffs like he was? No. You know, like he was getting things out of other players, namely, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, Trent Fred. Thomas Thomas, Thomas Nosek. Brandon Carlo, Thomas Nosek, Nick Foligno. Uh, There was a bunch of players uh, that were markedly and much better under – uh, Jim Montgomery than they want were under Bruce Cassidy. And I don't think that's an accident or, you know, a coincidence. And, and I, if I get a chance to talk to Montgomery at some point, just have a hockey conversation. 
I think one of the things I want to address with him is there was a certain 10 game patch in the middle of the season somewhere where all of these easy speed bodies that the Bruins had in the lineup, Marshan was getting up to speed around the same time that Zaka was really starting to catch fire. Taylor Hall was starting to feel it. And these guys who's, who's have that kind of stride that one push and they're in a different area code. It was no longer one guy here or one guy there on a different line. It was a, it was a team of guys. Coyle is in that class of skater. And it got to a point where all of a sudden Felino and Frederick, their game had meaning because yeah. the Bruins started having cumulative pressure with the forecheck line after line after line, the way the Claude teams used to do it by being heavy. These guys would do it yep. at speed. It wasn't so much hitting, but it was more that Messier skating, that Glenn Murray's forechecking pressure, the way those guys could just get in on defensemen and hurry them. And I thought that this, this uh, piece of the Bruins – uh, attack really started making me believe that they could be the team wearing the, the ball caps at the end. And, and uh, that went away. But then, and I don't know if it was a series of injuries. I know Hall had an injury. Uh, Martian obviously faded after his midseason peak. Polino um, had the injury. Yeah. So, so there was a lot going on there that guys that, that, that they were, they were greater than the sum of their parts at a certain point of the season. And then, at that part of their game faded. And I felt like that was key to them not being able to get anything going, anything cumulative against Florida's defensemen in that series. And, and, um, and I don't know if it's possible to reconstruct that going forward. Uh, but that was an element to their game that I really enjoyed for the little bit that we got to see it. No, there, the, I mean, there was a lot to enjoy over the course of that regular season. I think everybody believed that uh, something special was going on by the end of the year when they, they started the postseason. Um, and, you know, it made it surprising when they were not at times able to match uh, sort of the physicality and the intensity and, and everything that Florida was throwing at them and, and couldn't counter uh, what Florida was doing. And, you know, it's an easy second guess. And I, I it's, I actually was lo- looking at a podcast that Jim Montgomery was on um, earlier today where he addressed some of this, but there's also like the elements and it's, you know, sort of more uh, simple to look at it this way, but it's the element of it. It looked like they were still trying to go for the record um, late into the year and, and achieve those records. And I understood why they were doing it because they were trying to keep the pedal to the metal but I think it also ended up with some of their players getting banged up as they were doing that. And, you know, yes, Bergeron did sit for a few games, uh, but he injured, his, he injured his back in that last game against Montreal. And, you know, there's there, that's an easy second guess for everybody organizationally about that after the fact, um, you know, but Lindholm gets hurt late in the year. Krejci was battling injuries uh, down the stretch and into the Lainous. season. Yeah. yeah, Linus, um, absolutely. And he he was hurt in the last home game against Washington. Allmark uh, aggravated something. So, like, you know, I, it, part of that is bad luck. Yeah. No about it. Part of, of that luck. is just being the, an unfortunate banged-up team, like key players being banged up at the wrong time of the year starting the playoffs. And, like, that's part of the reason Florida didn't win is their players got banged up towards the end and mm-hmm. they weren't healthy enough uh, at the end of the year. And that's, like, something you always hear from players, coaches, management, whoever – is that part of it is luck and staying healthy and all that. But like their playoff was like Boston's regular season. In that right. Regard. But, but part of it too, is that like was too much importance put on the regular season, setting that record and too much stress and, you know, focus on that rather than really truly being ready for the playoffs in every way that they could. And were they, you know, pushing on the gas too hard 
um, at the end of the regular season and it didn't leave them with enough to start the playoffs. Like it's, it's an unanswerable question, but it's something you look at and can pick apart and say, I think I saw that. And I had a problem with that mm-hmm. um, because the results like were that players were banged up and it looked like the wear and tear of the regular season did it to them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if there's any, you can't really refute that. Um, on the other hand, you can't prove it either. You know, it's just going to be one of those things. That season's always going to haunt because that seemed like a very complete hockey team. Um, you know, the 2001-02 Red Wings were a very old team, and they managed to do it. Now, at Bergeron and Krejci, as a number one and two center, uh, won the Stanley Cup. Uh, they would have been the first team to average uh, the age that they were at between each other, which was 37 and 36, so 36 plus whatever. Yep. Um since 1971, yeah. John Beliveau and Henri Richard yeah. right. were averaging a half a year older than that. And and that tells you something, too, that can you win a Stanley Cup when your top two centers are 37, 38 years old? Can they sustain for two months every other night that level of play that you need to have in the playoffs when most of the guys that are coming to the forefront and rising to the top are – 26, 25, 29, you know, like the Matthew Kachuk's of the world. That's right. And how old were these guys when they won it? Yes. Right? So, so uh, it's, it's quite the domain of the guys who are old enough to know what to do and young enough to still have their bodies. And, and uh, there are exceptions, but when it's in the center courts, the central artery of your hockey team, um, then it was too good to be true that those two guys were going to last the entire way and then play two months of playoffs too. I, I was hoping because they, you know, I thought Montgomery was masterful in integrating no check to the uh, penalty kill and making coil a lead penalty killer and trying to take some of that heavy lifting away from Bergeron. Yep. Um, and that's why Don Sweeney made the acquisition in the first place uh, that this was the theory and he was right. That was what they needed to do. Um, it's still, still, still at the end, that's what happened. Yeah. And, and I think that's the sort of path moving forward for Bergeron if he stays and if he wants to play. And I hope he does because he's still a fantastic player. He should win the Selkie again this year. Uh, he's still, you know, the best two way center, I think, in the league on any given night um, and a winner and a Hall of Fame player and a great leader like the entire package. He's just a, like an excellent. He still player. has he still has his hard skills. Of course. And he, he was he was he was badly injured and he was playing. And that's why you get the minus six of the final three. Yep. Uh, you know, and that that to me is not a referendum on him in no. any regard. Uh, he's a competitor. He wanted to play. Uh, the Bruins went with it. It didn't work out, you know, uh, tragic, but it happened. But but I think at this point, like the path forward for him is if he does continue to play is even if, you know, you sort of quote unquote, still consider him your number one center. He's more like your third line center and the the minutes that he plays, the role that he plays, Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle play harder minutes, yeah. uh, you know, do, you know, the, the play much more bigger minutes, you know, mm-hmm. play a, a lot more of the roles and take much more ownership of the center position moving forward. And he kind of slides down as far as usage goes to try to keep him, you know, as fresh as you can for the postseason and try to keep him, 
uh, playing at his optimal level for as long as you can when you get to that point. And, and I think that's kind of what has to happen. And that's going to be difficult for a player that's used to playing in all the tough situations, used to playing in every situation, used to doing it all. Uh, but I think that's kind of what should and has to happen to get the most out of him. And I Ray think Bar- Ray Bork went through it. Yeah, and he'll be he'll obviously be on board with it because he's a smart guy and he's a team guy and he understands. Um, but you know, I, I I do think that's an element of it too. And I've wondered this for years, the last few years. If even if the stars aligned for the Bruins, would they be able to get over the finish line when their centers are getting to an age where it's really hard to expect them to play 20 minutes a night every other night in the playoffs for two months? That's a lot to ask. Uh, okay, okay, hot take. I don't think it's in their best interest to bring back both Bergeron and Krejci. No, I don't think so either. I think I think it's better for them if it's just Bergeron. Yep. And I love David Krejci. Love him. I just think that the situation of both those guys in those positions on this hockey team um, is it, that's that's it's too much of a grind for the body at this stage. I, I agree. Um, the 12-year anniversary of the Bruin Stanley Cup uh, was a couple days ago, yesterday? Yesterday. Yesterday. And, uh, we're taping this on Friday. And uh, they were playing the Game 7 on NHL Network uh, in Vancouver. Uh, you were there, right? Yes, sir. Yes, I was there. You were there. Everybody was there. Uh, what are your memories of, of just that postseason run, that team, and sort of like, you know, that night when they won Game 7? Well, I remember talking to one of the Ferraro brothers, the twin brothers that played on the Providence Bruins team that uh, had won the Calder Cup and went back to within one goal, overtime goal of of being in the final that they would have won um, the next year. And and saying to me at a certain point, I love this team. It's somebody different every night. Yep. That was that was the comment. And, and uh, that's how it was, whether it was Michael Ryder's glove save Andrew Ferentz with a big goal at the, you know, at the Bell Center. Um, and everybody knows what happened after that. Um, well, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, he's doing a street hockey thing uh, in Boston tomorrow, Ferentz. That's right, yeah. Over the weekend. And I was considering bringing Finn to it and, and uh, introducing him. And I, I know, I know Finn and, like, a couple of his buddies – I know the thing that they would be most like fat excited to talk to him about. They'd bring one hockey glove. It's <laughs> flipping the bird to the Montreal Canadiens fans after he scored a goal in the playoff. Yeah, that's yeah. that's gonna be hard. Something what I think kids every uh, every kid that age like dreams of doing, but would never do in a million years because they it's get like, the it's like Brian Trotchy and the Brian Bellows video. He can never he can never live it down. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. but it's true. Uh, it, it was a different player every night, and it it you know. It, it was the right time for that team, the right place, the, the right moment. Uh, you know, Tim Thomas was unbelievable. Uh, and you have to have that if you're going to win the cup too, as we saw with Aiden Hill, it was just seemed like every, all the pieces came into place for that team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They were, and they, they played, they played with a method and they took away the legs of the opponent's defensemen. I remember game four and at Madison square garden in 13 and I'm uh, watching them. It was next to DJ Bean. And the Rangers had Hammerlick on defense. Yeah, I remember that. And the Bruins' fourth line in overtime started hemming them in. And I could see Hammerlick couldn't move anymore. It was almost like he was like skating like he was at the end of a pregame warm-up. And he was finally he just started skating through the crowd, going to the bench. 
right in the middle of the right in the middle of the battle. <laughs> he leaves the scene. I'm thinking, I said, DJ, I said, it's over. Yeah. I said, the Bruins gonna start getting their changes. Once they get their changes, this is gonna end. Here comes Krejci. Krejci gets over the boards. One bounce off the boards. Next thing you know, the Rangers score the goal to win the game and send it back to Boston. I just couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> you just never know with, with this game of hockey how it's going to turn out. You think you know. True. You think you're seeing it unfold right before you, and then and then something completely opposite to that happens. Um, <laughs> you just never know. Sometimes you're leaning in on the guy on the ropes, and he sidesteps and throws the uppercut, and you're doing a face plant on the ring for three minutes. You know, you just don't know. Um, but but that's um, that team. Uh, I remember game seven in Vancouver, uh, Mark Recchi. Uh, there's a puck laying beside Roberto Luongo, and Recchi's on the wrong side of the puck. And he dives over Roberto Luongo, swan dive, to go get that puck. A moment later, Rich Garvin of the Worcester Telegram is grabbing my elbow because I'm standing up. And I just remember saying, they're going to win. And it was that play by Mark Recchi that brought me into that, that moment that I yep. just knew they didn't come here to lose. They're going to win the game. And, and he was like, Mick, 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 sit down, sit down, calm down. Calm down. <laughs> Get a hold of me. I was in a different world. I was in a different universe. <laughs> So, it's true, though. Like, you could see it uh, with the way Paye and Thornton and Gregory Campbell were playing in that game, too. Like They first... turned around. The day. It was all Vancouver the first yeah. uh, several minutes of that game until that line, that line was the one that turned around the yeah. ice. Every time they went over the boards, you're like, those guys came to win tonight. And you could tell, you know, and it, it ended up just turning into that wave after wave every shift. And they just yeah. overwhelmed. And then Berge sneaks one in from the slot that was supposed to go on another stick. Yeah. Kind of like stole it from somebody and shot it in. And Longo was that's why Longo was so fooled by it. He didn't yep. think that was going to be the stick that shot the puck. And um, and then uh, Marshian does Marshian stuff. And then Bergeron that penalty kill goal. What he's sliding yep. on his knees. I mean the desperation with which that team sacrificed and played. And that's that's why they walked together. That's why they're gonna. They just they everything was was about that common goal. And um, you know the other teams feel that way in their hearts. But boy, when you see it, you know it, right? Absolutely. So that, was, um, that was that one of those nights. I I'll never forget it. I'll never forget uh, getting the last shuttle out of uh, the Rogers Arena too uh, while the riots were going on. Um, they were gone by the time we got out. There. They, yeah, they told me I was going to have to walk home if I didn't get on that shuttle. There were like a bunch of NHL people were on right then and so, there. So that's what happened with me and Chris Hurley and um, and uh, <laughs> and 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 uh, Rich Garvin. So a guy says to us, "Well." Go up the hill that way. It's about 12 blocks to the hotel. We start walking. We're only two blocks anyway. We run into the riot police. We ask them, what do we do? The shuttles are done. And they said, go two blocks this way. You'll be fine. So we start walking up. You know, we're fine. Things are dark. And then we can see some light coming from one of the blocks of the sides of the buildings. And then we hear some bell ringing, like, you know, like a construction site, kind of bang, bang. <laughs> I was like, what the heck is, and then all these people come pouring out of there with their eyes darting and this way, that way, this way, that way. Like they don't know which way to run away from whatever they're running from. I'm, <laughs> I'm expecting Godzilla to come around the corner. And and uh, two things really hit me. One was this idiot in a Bruins jersey who was walking with his girlfriend who was telling him, we need to go, we need to go. And he's, no, I want to see, I want to see. He's walking toward it, you know? And um, and then it was this, this little mother petite little thing with a baby carriage and i'm thinking i don't know where you are honey or where yes. you're going but but you, you know god, god love you and i hope you get there quick 
Yeah. Boy, it was just a scary night. That, we, had, you know, we broke that, into a jog up the hill a few times. By the time I got back to the hotel, I was sweating. Mick, this confirms that I, I will never hang out with you again post-game uh, when there's a riot after a game because <laughs> I know what you I, I was with you in Montreal after a game <laughs> seven when the number one seeded Canadians beat the number eight seeded Bruins and they were like <laughs> riot squad police and cars on fire in Montreal as we were That's trying right. to walk, uh, walk to a restaurant for a post-game. That's right. Dinner. In Crescent, there was an yeah. overturned uh, cruiser yeah. under the bonfire. And, so the, and then there was, see, like, you, the taillights were knocked out of like about 24 cruisers parked in a row. All the big storefronts were all boarded up and the ones yeah. that weren't had broken windows. I'm thinking like, this is this is just out of sight. This is nuts. You seem to be the wrong guy in the wrong place at the wrong time during these riots uh, post playoff games, Mick. So uh, you could do in that case is sit back with a glass of wine, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, Watch the uh, city burn down. One uh, one final thing before we sign off here: just uh, salary cap situation for the Bruins. We talked about it a little bit. Five million dollars, roughly, in cap space, according to our friends at Puckpedia. Um, they're, uh, they have enough defensemen right now. They have a surplus of defensemen. They have enough goaltending and you could argue they could use one less or ha- survive with one less with Brandon Bussey, uh, I, 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 as a potential option I, in, in Providence. I love Brandon Bussey. I'm on the Bussey bandwagon, but too soon. Well, it's more, you know what? It's more of the Jeremy Swayman bandwagon than the Bussey bandwagon for me. Cause I think he can handle being uh, a number one goalie at the NHL. And if he's, if Bussey is your backup or, if you bring in, you know, somebody I, like I think that's more your move. Yeah. I think that's bring in a veteran guy that may be in Providence. So you, so you recommend trading Linus to gain the five million? I, I mean, I think that's something I would definitely look at, especially would you do that before trade. Would you do that before Taylor Hall? Yeah, I would. I no, would. Not me. No way. I would I'd trade. I, I, I'd, I'd start with Taylor Hall. See, the, this is the thing. I, I have. Um, yeah. Taylor Hall. I, I'd certainly. They're over invested on wing. They're already winger heavy. They're already two winger heavy. They got to get this. I would, if I would, if I had a chance, this is if Bergie doesn't come back. What are you doing? What are you doing about? What are you doing? What's your plan? Um, Well, you have Zaka and Coyle, but I think they would try to find some kind of a veteran. um, Ryan O'Reilly. A veteran guy. Yes. A Ryan O'Reilly, you know, uh, Hayes from Philadelphia, like somebody like that, that you could bring in. And, and be a stopgap for a year or two. Like, especially if you can get a guy on a trade who a team's trying to offload and they're going to eat money and it's going to help you cap wise. Like, I think that's what you have to do. I don't think that's going to happen. Cause I think Bergeron's probably going to come back for at least one more year. I think it would, it's hard for me to believe that Patrice Bergeron's not going to play in the centennial season of the Boston Bruins, uh, especially if otherwise he'd be going out uh, with that game seven being the last game of his NHL career. Like, I, I just put all that together with him still being, you know, Patrice Bergeron, still being a Hall of Fame player, a winner, a, a great two-way center, you know, all of those things. Uh, like I, don't I just know how much the herniated disc is going to have to say about that. And I don't know how much yeah, the family, the family is going to have. He to had say that injury that. before though, a few years ago, and he recovered from it though. I think that's one of the I don't know if it's that as much as just the wear and tear of having played for almost 20 years, you know, that's going to get him in the end, you know. But I, I just think there's too much for him. There's too many reasons, I think, for him to continue to keep playing to not at least for one more year. That's, that's I, I, I hope he does. I mean, you know, it's going to be a bad, bad day. <laughs> yes. That's things gonna are going to be, be things are going to be. We talked about this. I think I talked about the tie last week. Um, things are going to be totally different with that team 
top to bottom when Patrice Bergeron's not there anymore. Uh, it's going to be a whole new heart and soul, whole new yes. position of the culture, the day to day, the the yeah. mindset, the philosophy, like the the drive, the the yeah. the just the personality of the group and the the personality of the team. Like all of that is going to be completely different. There's going to be a huge vacuum when he's not there anymore. I frankly, I just don't think they're ready for it next year either. You think what? Well, I know I'm trying to make myself the interviewer here. <laughs> do, you, do you think they're going to trade Grizzly? Yes, I do. I do. I, I do too, based on what Don Sweeney did and did not say on on, uh, yes. on the presser, because uh, he said we get a he identified the core of the D going forward as McAvoy, Lindholm, and Carlo. That's what we have to build around. And then he was asked about Grizzly season specifically, and he said he had a really good season, and he did not go cycle back to including him in any of that, which means that they're, they know they have the decision to make for the budget. Well, I also think um, at this point, having watched Tampa Bay win, having watched Vegas now win this year, having watched just recent history with uh, the Stanley cup playoffs and at the NHL, you you just really can't have five foot nine, 170 pound defenseman, playing significant roles for you when he gets to playoff time, you know, like these teams that are when winning. Corey Krug became a top three defenseman. I knew the Bruins couldn't win. Yes. When Pat Grislyk became a top three. I knew they couldn't win. You look at the blues. I mean, yes. and they, and they, I, they're the ones who did it the right way. They had a big three with Petrangelo, Bo Meester and Pareko. Yep. And then they let Petrangelo go. They got smaller on purpose. And what have they become? They lost their whole direction. And, uh, you know, so in as much as I like to appreciate those players and their ability, um, once they start making too much money, they have to play in those heavy minutes situations. Yep. Then it becomes problematic for your playoff lineup for matchup purposes. Yeah, I agree. And, and it's just, you just look at the cup winners. It's that simple. Just look at their defenseman course. They're all six foot two, 200 pound plus guys, six foot two plus 200 pound plus just beasts that don't let you get anywhere near the net beasts that can take the pounding from other teams for checks and aren't going to flinch when they come at you. They aren't going to hear the footsteps as much or able to battle through things, even play hurt. I mean, the stuff that Aaron Eckblad was playing through, uh, it, since the first round of the playoffs is amazing to me, uh, the level he was able to still play at uh, while he's playing through that. But your bigger, tougher, stronger guys are going to be able to do that come yeah. playoff time. And I think it's just a a, a tried and true formula. Um, Mick, thank you so much for the time. I, I appreciate it today. Awesome talking hockey with you. We could have done this five hours. Uh, you kidding me? We could have gone on and on forever. Uh, before but, we but go, people I would want... not have listened to it. <laughs> That's all right. They, they're going to listen for a strong hour. I can tell you that much, Mick. Uh, let's thank our sponsors before we go. FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Network. Uh, it's Major League Baseball season now. There's obviously no uh, NBA playoffs, no Stanley Cup playoffs, but still right now you can get a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Uh, they have great promotions at FanDuel every day. It's a safe and secure app that's e really easy to use. You get paid instantly when you win. Uh, so visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and get a no sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash Boston. And our other sponsor of course is factor meals america's number one ready to eat meal kit uh fresh never frozen meals ready in just two minutes sometimes less than two minutes if you want to speed around real quick but just around two minutes which is uh you know for for a dinner that's all you need is two minutes 
Uh, but delicious, great meals, healthy meals, uh, all kinds of options to choose from. Uh, so head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code hags50 to get 50% off your first box. That's factormeals.com slash hags50 to get 50% off your first box at Factor Meals. Mick, I will see you at the rink. Everybody, thanks for listening. That's all for this week.